0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by the Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated
1: to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, we are taking folks on a culinary adventure unlike anything we have ever discussed here on the show. That's right, Jim. We've talked about cooking, say, uh, at your campsite. (laughs) (laughs) something
0: I still get crap about to this day. You know, we've talked about going to small towns, eating out at some restaurants Mm -hmm. in St. Joseph or on the coast. What we haven't talked a lot about is the food scene generally here in Portland because I think that's where, you know, the two of us live at least and where a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, live uh, around but this week, um, we're going to be, and not the two of us are getting into that, but we're going to be getting into that a little bit via uh, some of our coworkers.
1: Yeah. So this episode's a little something different for us, right? We are going to actually share a conversation that our editor here on the podcast, Andrew Thien, had with Michael Russell, who's the restaurant reporter and critic for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. And Andrew talked with Michael for his excellent Beat Check podcast, diving deep into Michael's ranking of Portland's best new restaurants, which, Jamie, I will say, piqued my interest, even though I am not exactly the biggest foodie in town here. (laughs) No. You still eat into the same couple of restaurants every weekend, Jim? I mean, if I went to even the same restaurants every weekend, that would be adventuresome. Uh I just don't go out to eat very much. Nothing against it. It is just I enjoy cooking for myself. And, well, let's face it, I'm a little bit of a cheapskate sometimes. So cooking (laughs) for oneself is a more financially tenable uh, arrangement than – gallivanting about town and trying all the new restaurants but a boy can dream can't he Mm -hmm. Uh, and i suppose that's what we're going to do on this week's show so without further ado here is andrew and michael's conversation about the portland dining scene
2: michael russell thanks for coming back on the show thanks for having me so michael how did you set forth and plan your restaurant guide and your list this year uh, because obviously this last couple years has been a little bit different so i'm wondering how you went into approaching uh this big project this year
3: well just a tiny bit of backstory here um there was this thing called the pandemic that started in 2020 um you guys might be familiar with it um but (laughs) Uh, it hit in in March of 2020, and that's around the time I probably would have started gearing up to write our restaurant guide for 2020, uh, focused on new places that were opening. Uh, but of course, um, a lot of those new places uh, not only uh, had to shut their dining rooms for COVID protocols, many of them never even reopened. So last year didn't really feel like anybody needed a restaurant guide, and we ended up. Focusing on other things, issues that the industry was facing, uh, highlighting some of the closures that you know impacted our city the most, and I think Portland has had a, a, a sort of larger amount of important restaurant closures than almost anywhere else in America. So 2021 rolled around, and all of a sudden. Because restaurants had continued to open, I had this list that had grown to nearly 100 places of restaurants that either I'd checked out once or I'd been meaning to check out. Uh, To answer your question, I guess I started with spreadsheets. Um, (laughs) I had uh, 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 a list of about 65 places that ended up growing to over 90 places to visit. And I had columns for what days they were open, if they were family-friendly, if they served lunch or not. Uh, because right now, as probably people who've tried to go out to eat are aware, uh, a lot of restaurants in Portland are only open maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or, or Wednesday through Saturday. So finding the times to visit these places uh, required a little bit more strategy and organization that, uh, even than normal.
2: Yeah. And this is in normal times, a big task where you're trying to get to all these places and you're trying to coordinate photography for places and um, (laughs) a little bit more complicated in these times.
3: Yeah. And uh, we actually had a team of five photographers went out. The logistics were Uh, trickier than normal. And of course, logistics for the restaurants themselves are trickier than normal. Um, The reason that they're not open a lot is right now restaurants are struggling to find staff. Uh, A lot of uh, people who worked in the industry here in Portland uh, shifted careers over the past 20 months or maybe moved home Mm -hmm. and left Portland entirely. Uh, So it's been tricky for restaurants to find front and back-of-house staff, and a lot of people justifiably uh, aren't anxious to go back and work in that environment where you're working uh, face-to-face with strangers all day who because of the nature of how we eat they you know diners can't wear masks uh, yeah. once they walk in the restaurant you can be respectful you can pull it up between bites you can wear it while you're walking to the bathroom and back and or in and out of the restaurant but while you're eating as we all know you cannot wear a mask so as i said a bit more organization i really started eating in early fall I had been to some of the restaurants ahead of time, but I did the bulk of the eating in a little over two months and then revisited the places I thought were the best just to uh, pick a final 10 list. And that's what comes out today.
2: Um, Well, and we'll definitely share links if people haven't seen it by the time they listen to this on OregonLive.com slash dining. But um, let's just go right to the top. Um, Let's start with your restaurant of the year, Magna Cuisina. How did this place land atop your list and what's its story?
3: So it's got a great story. Magna is the sort of dream restaurant of a chef named uh, Carlo La Magna, uh, who's been in Portland for uh, almost eight years now. Uh, He came from Chicago. Uh, He was born in Detroit, but Mm -hmm. spent time there and in the Philippines where his family is from. And when he came to Portland, it was to be the sous chef at a restaurant called Clyde Common downtown at the Ace Hotel when he eventually took over day-to-day operations at that restaurant he started adding filipino touches to the menu most notably he had a crispy lumpia that he served with this like overripe uh fruit sweet and sour sauce um mm. which was really nice <laughs> and the whole time he was there i was kind of like wow I, that's really tasty i kind of i, I kind of wish he would do more of that at clark common and you know slowly there'd be Uh, an entree would appear, but you know, he kept a lot of things, uh, to himself. Eventually he left and it took him a long time to find his restaurant, which is on Southeast Clinton street and 26th. Uh, but when he found it, he did open it took about two and a half years of work to get that open. Uh, he did a lot of the build out himself. And as I write in our restaurant of the year story, I think if, uh, we were doing this guide last year, I don't think Magna would have been our restaurant of the year, But as much as any um, business owner in Portland, Carlo really took advantage of the pandemic for rest time for him and his staff. He applied for a lot of grants and low-interest loans, including Mm -hmm. some that were forgivable from the government. And he turned what had been kind of a seat-of-the-pants operation, even in his own words, into a really warm, friendly, still small restaurant. And it's still only open Thursday to Saturday for dinner. <laughs> uh, but when I first went there, the, I, I walked in and I realized they, they didn't have a bar. Not only did they not have a bar, they didn't have cocktails. They didn't have beer or wine because they hadn't gotten their liquor license yet. And you know, if you know anything about restaurants and how they make profit – uh, you know, beer is usually marked up 2X. Wine might be 3X. Right. Cocktails are 4X markup. So that's really the profit mar- uh, engine for a restaurant. And the fact that they didn't have that liquor license yet at the time when they were probably going to be potentially the most popular you ever are is when you open, I was like, oh my gosh, they don't have their liquor license. What is going on here? Uh, they're losing so much money because the margins on food are, are pretty slim. So they used that uh, months of downtime and they were closed for about six months last year to build a bar get, you know, they'd already gotten the liquor license, but you know, they rearranged uh, everything to be exactly the restaurant he wanted minus a uh, live fire cooking, which he, he, he really wants to do, but the space won't permit in the end, he builds his dream restaurant and I go back and wow, it's almost like an entirely new place. The food is better. The vibe is better. And uh, you know, Also, the restaurant really spoke to this moment in time in 2021. So it ended up for me being kind of a no-brainer pick.
2: When you said it speaks to this moment in time, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, I mean, as you might expect, Portland being one of the whitest large cities in america Um, a lot of our famous chefs over the years have been white and male Um, and i think for years a lot of us including critics have been sort of clamoring for more diversity among the famous chefs in portland Uh, obviously there was diversity among the the dishwashing ranks and the prep cooks uh, but the people who are getting the accolades and the and the prizes and the national media attention Uh, often tended to be white men. I'm thinking of like Andy Ricker at Poc Poc or Mm -hmm. John Gorham at Toro Bravo, two chefs who no longer live in Portland. So during the pandemic, obviously, like a lot of things changed after the uh, murder of George Floyd, um, that became more than just a desire. There was an active push in the restaurant industry Uh, for restaurants owned by people of color to be given more of a spotlight in the media and more opportunities in terms of capital and and real estate. Obviously, Carlo had already reopened, but I think Magna kind of became a hub for a community, uh, especially the Filipino community, but also larger Asian-American community. And at Magna, he actually gives over his restaurant – Several days a week when they're not open to pop ups. Um, You know, it might be a chicken adobo pot pie pop up on Sunday or Monday mornings where you can go and pick up. Pot pies from another chef. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be, you know, a Mexican pop up from a chef, uh, Luna Contreras, who um, used to run a restaurant called Nightingale. It's not just a place to go eat dinner. This is actually a a place where there's a a hub, there's community. I remember going there one time and uh, to Magna just a couple months ago and uh, Carlo La Magna, the chef, is also a uh, martial arts expert. And his entire uh, stick fighting team were outside, kind of gathered around a picnic table, huh. lingering kind of late into the night, chatting and having a great time. And as they left, they went and they um, said, you know, they were joking with Carlo, who they called, I believe, their guru, which is a uh, teacher. Uh, uh, I, I, I may have that slightly wrong. I believe that's correct. But um, I, I said to uh, my the people I was with, I was like, this is probably the safest restaurant in Portland right now. <laughs> you know, no one's, no one's going to come attack this place or they're going to be pushed back. Um, but that just speaks to the community vibe. Got
2: it. Well, you painted a, a vivid picture and um, it sounds amazing and I'm sure it's going to be <laughs> busy going forward. Uh, if it, yeah.
3: One last thing, Andrew, I'll just say that the the food, which we didn't even talk about, yeah. I mean, he does have lumpia on the menu, which are like crispy egg rolls. They serve it there with a spiced vinegar dipping sauce. They're really great. His other sort of signature dish is called sisig, which is kind of like a. I describe it somewhere as like a pig face hash but they break down whole pigs at the restaurant and the f- the face meat, like, you know, cheeks, mm-hmm. uh, uh, ears, all the little bits uh, get blended with belly and they're, it's roasted and then simmered in a skillet mixed with egg and the texture of this dish when it's when it's really at its best is like total heaven it melts in your mouth but it's also crispy from this sort of crust that forms on the skillet um you know it's a very pork heavy restaurant they also do nice vegetable dishes but you're going to have pork there and that was probably the best dish I ate all year um, was the seasick.
2: Yeah. And I think you described it in the piece, um, harkening back to his Detroit roots, like a as, as crispy as a de- Detroit style pizza. So uh, painted <laughs> right. a good picture. Um, thank you for talking about the food a little bit. Cause obviously, you know, I, I geek out and I know we've talked, you know, going back to, I think the first episode we did of this podcast in October, 2019, you know, yeah. I, I love talking about the personalities and people behind these enterprises, but you know, people go there for that, but also obviously the food.
3: Yeah. And that was so important for me with Magna. And that's why they ended up being our restaurant of the year, because it wasn't just a great story. The food's delicious, too. And you can go there and have, you know, I think like any restaurant, there's there's highs and lows. For me, it ranges between very good and great, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from good to great. That's a good range to be in. And you could have the best meal of the year there if you, you know, depending on how much you're going out to eat. Uh, It's possible, which is great, because there are other restaurants with great stories that where maybe the food isn't quite at that level and you still want to celebrate the story. But, you know, that, that that to me is what elevated it beyond a good story to the restaurant of the year level.
2: Before we hit on some of the other restaurants that opened in 2020 and 2021, you mentioned kind of the chefs of color leading the way, both as an enterprise and obviously leading the kitchen. But this is a common theme going back years now that Portland continues to excel at all you know, there's a lot of varieties of Asian cuisine in different parts of the continent, which is massive, obviously. But, you know, we've we've now, you know, in addition to our very famous Vietnamese and Thai restaurants, now we've got this numerous Filipino restaurants or food carts that you've highlighted in your coverage. I mean, is that just kind of another step in the the city's evolution?
3: Well, right now, it's still really in the kind of uh, a, a, a startup scrappy phase for the Filipino food scene here. There are some older mom and pop places like Tumbayan out on, um, uh, foster that have been around for a long time and deserve to be, uh, acknowledged. Uh, but among the new generation, you've got, um, you know, a, a food cart, a pop-up at a bar or a, a supper club that's only open once a week. You know, it's still kind of in that scrappy phase, but there's a lot of exciting things going on. And, you know, Magna played host to pop-ups for a lot of these places. Um, you know, Carlo uh, uh, is kind of the godfather of the Filipino Food scene here, and kind of will go down as that going forward, I believe, because he is lending his kitchen to other restaurants to get their, uh, you know, you know, first uh, foot in the door. Which, I mean, I wonder, maybe ten years ago or so, would chefs be doing that? Would chefs be saying, "Hey, come down, You you serve the same exact cuisine as me, although, albeit with a different takes on it, you know, come down, have Monday night, you know, you can sell your food here." And I mean, I, that does speak to kind of the community building that Carlo is doing there. And another thing that I love about Magna, but yeah, there's exciting things happening in the Filipino scene. Um, we also have, uh, I, I know, I'm not sure we were going to talk about this, but we also have our first um, uh, major Burmese
2: restaurant. Mm, thank you. Uh, yeah, town. I wanted to talk about yeah. that. Yeah.
3: That's uh, That was sort of a blind spot for Portland, which is hilarious because, you know, not only with Pock Pock and Whiskey Soda Lounge and Pock Pock Wing and all of Andy Ricker's places. But our other like best known restaurateur in town is a guy named Earl Ninsum, who runs Paddy and Longban and Hot Yai, mm-hmm. which you may have had fried chicken and curry from. So we actually had like, two really enormous Thai restaurant groups or even empires, whatever, because Pock Pock used to be in New York and LA. But meanwhile, we had an almost no Burmese food. We had Burmese food at food carts but they would kind of come and go meanwhile in san francisco you know you can't throw a rock without hitting a burmese restaurant uh in san francisco or 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 oakland or berkeley and a lot of those came uh under the uh overcoat of a restaurant called burma superstar and a lot of the restaurants will be called like rangoon superstar whatever so a guy named calvin myant moved up from san francisco and noticed there wasn't less here, and opened a food cart, and that was back in 2003, and that cart didn't last. But just before the pandemic, he opened a takeout window called Top Burmese, and during the pandemic, that has grown to three restaurants, including one in Beaverton and two in Northwest Portland. And they serve very good Burmese food, and they're also on my top 10 list. Um, uh, Burmese food, I don't yeah. know if what's, I'm what's, jumping what, your question what, here, No, I,
2: you are jumping, but go go ahead and jump, because describe your what, what, you're, what you're getting there.
3: The approach that Calvin and his uh, partner Poe took to the menu was sort of Indian influenced. India is um, uh, Myanmar's neighbor to the west, uh, but they're also surrounded by China to the northeast, Thailand to the southeast. I think they may share a border with Laos. Um, I could be wrong about that. But, you know, all of those cuisines, if you have some familiarity with Southeast Asian cuisine and Indian cuisine and Chinese cuisine, if you kind of throw those three together in your head, uh, you kind of come close to what it's like to eat. Uh, Burmese food. And it's totally delicious. I recommend going to any of the three locations, um, the original top Burmese. Are, I had a great meal out in Beaverton, actually, at what's called Bistro Royale. Mm-hmm. That's their Beaverton location. Mm-hmm. They do these beautiful golden fried samosas. They're probably like the best samosas you've ever had. And in Beaverton, they chop them up and they mix them with this lentil stew that was like I tricked myself into thinking it was healthy, um, and it was totally delicious. Yeah, that's another one of the best things I ate this year.
2: Oh man, my my stomach is uh, literally like churning as you're talking here.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah, let's... you don't want to know about the leftovers in my fridge right now, man. There's some good stuff.
2: All right, well let's stick with because um, you brought up Topper Me's, and that's one of your um, top ten new restaurants of the last two years. Um, maybe let's talk about you know sticking with the theme of former. Is this a former award winner? Peter Cho's Hanok. Was that a former restaurant of the year or close or one of the best? <laughs> no, restaurants? no, you're absolutely right. Yeah.
3: They were our restaurant of the year in 2017. Okay. And during the pandemic, they um, took an opportunity to take over one of John Gorham's old restaurant spaces, uh, Tasty and Alder, which behind the scenes, people tell me, was one of the most successful restaurants in Portland. Uh, they just churned at brunch. They did a successful sort of steakhouse thing at dinner and uh when Gorham left all of, a lot of his spaces became available, and the uh Peter Cho and his uh partner Sun Young Park sort of took the opportunity to jump at what could have been a risk. I think they got a pretty sweet lease offered to them mm-hmm. to you know come downtown because it's it's in the what's called the West End neighborhood, you know not far from Powell's books, and it's kind of risky down there right now uh they took the opportunity to jump. They opened a restaurant called Toki. It started as kind of just like a Hanok uh, spinoff, but lately they've been adding really interesting things, especially at lunch. You know, it's kind of cool to watch that restaurant come into its own, see how it evolves. And it seems to be changing every time you go down there. Let's
2: hit on a couple of the other restaurants um, uh, that opened in the last couple of years. Kind of rare to make it on, on your list late in the game, right? Um you went to a place over, uh, in Slabtown, right?
3: Right, right. Um, and I may even talk about two restaurants here because, uh, two of my biggest surprises of the year were, were on the West side, um, which is an area that I think people have been, you know, especially downtown, but even stretching over to the Pearl district, I think it's been tough down there. Um, uh, uh, without, you know, office workers kind of spilling out and going to happy hours and things. You lose that. We've lost a lot of restaurants the past couple of years in the Pearl. One of my biggest surprises was a restaurant called G-Love, which opened before the pandemic, uh, in 2019 around the same time as Magna, but, uh, you know, they were, um, the early reports, uh, weren't great. And I, I, you know, it was slabtown. The restaurant seemed like it might be a little cheesy, it had the same name as a sort of a jam band, uh, G love and special <laughs> exactly. sauce. And I, <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. I kind of avoided it, but over time, uh, during the pen, during the past 20 months, I kept hearing people, Oh, you know, they're really busy. There's a lot of people there. You know, there was something exciting going on down there. We go down, we sit at the bar, which is right by these big open double doors that they just keep open because it's nice and warm inside. And we uh, had some cocktails, we had some food. The food was really fun. The drinks were great. The bartender was having a great time. Uh, The staff seemed to be cruising along, sort of like, you know, clockwork, you know, busting their butts and having fun. And so sitting at that bar, that was. Probably the funnest time I'd had a, at a restaurant in about twenty months, and you know, I, I, I think, why it's like the come the question comes to mind: Why do we go out to eat? Uh, obviously, we go out to eat to try delicious food and also because it 's just a necessity of life, but we also go out to have fun to see our friends and that 's something that just kind of became an impossibility during the pandemic um, There are uh, rules against you know obviously there's re- there were restrictions against large parties you yeah. know it might be capped as six people uh, staff have to tell you to pull your mask up all the time they might be checking vaccine cards and that Uh, You might have customers who are upset about that. It's not a fun thing for staff. It's not always fun as a customer, even if you're someone who wears a mask regularly and carries their vaccine card, as I do. You know, it's not always fun to jump through hoops and hurdles like that. So it's totally understandable that the new restaurants in Portland aren't always the total nonstop party that maybe they were for the 10 years before. But it just felt really great to go to a place where you could kind of let loose uh, a la G love and have fun and see the staff having fun and eat some good food. And the, you know, slab town has really seemed to embrace that restaurant. It was, it was their sort of outdoor patio it was very busy uh, socially distanced to be clear, but you know, it was full every time I've gone by. Um, one other restaurant on the West side that was a big surprise for me was Chicha. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a pandemic, concept from a restaurant called Andina that a lot of listeners will have heard of. Andina is a uh, almost 20-year-old Peruvian restaurant in the Pearl district, a yeah. former restaurant of the year in 2005. And you know, they I don't want to say they took their eye off the ball, but the past 10 years there hasn't been a lot of reason to go to Andina. The food is sort of paint by numbers, you know, the menu hadn't been shaken up too much. But here at this restaurant Chicha they were serving street food from Lima, and they were serving it out in the actual street on uh, 13th, mm-hmm. which is a, a street that probably should be totally pedestrianized, but has in during the pandemic been uh, uh, you know taken over somewhat by restaurants where they put their seats out sometimes all the way across the street. Chicha built this cool terraced patio. I resisted comparing it to Machu Picchu mm-hmm. in my. Uh, <laughs> Good job. In my review. But screen. here I am blowing it here. Um but uh and so they were serving things like anticuchos, which are uh beef heart skewers, uh really good ceviche, soft shell crab sandwiches, great desserts, like and then they were serving them with Andina's kind of tropical cocktail. So it felt a little bit different, but it was still from Andina. I think they really know how to run a restaurant, they know how to have fun. The food is really bright and delicious. And right now they're moved back inside to Andina and they're serving it upstairs at one of their private dining rooms. And I personally am going to wait till they're back outside, uh, partly for COVID and then just partly because it's a lot more fun out there.
2: It's fun when you're outside and uh, and not worrying about the mask as much and able to just kind of cut loose a little bit more. Um, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little not bit. Not too much, though. I cut loose these days uh, as, as the paranoia is not at the front of your brain all the time. So we'll let listeners dive into the whole list, and and um and there's a lot to chew on metaphorically and physically uh, in reality out there. But um, is there anything else just in terms of... Um, before we take a quick break, any other things that surprised you this year? You know, I just reading your piece, I was surprised about propane shortages being a thing, right? That was not something I would, I would think would affect the restaurant industry, but I guess, is that a, well, you
3: gotta, you gotta think there's supply chain issues around everything right now, but with propane, especially last year, but this year too, as restaurants were gearing up to, uh, open their, you know, reopen their patios. Uh, it's a zero-sum game. Everyone's hunting for the same propane tanks, the same ones you might have in your um, grill in your backyard, Mm -hmm. um, uh, to fire these lamps and uh, uh, heat lamps and and gas-powered heat lamps. I mean, this is a, a thing where I would hear from uh, uh, people in the restaurant industry who were traveling from place to place to place, you know, maybe it's uh, a Fred Meyer or a Home Depot or wherever they sell these propane tanks, and they were just out, they were out, out, out. But you couldn't even open without them because it might be too cold. And uh, then you'd hear stories about the the units themselves being stolen uh, off the property, so they were being chained up. And yeah, that was one of the hurdles, but I mean, I think it's like it's almost like I don't want to overstate things, but it's almost feels like we've woken up to a brand new dining world. I mean, like the, the 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 amount of times I was actually handed a paper menu over the past two and a half three months of eating, I I can count on one hand. It's almost entirely these QR codes, and you know, so everything's done. You know, at least looking at the menu. Sometimes even ordering is all done on your smartphone. Sometimes you pay on your smartphone too. Uh, there's restaurants where you, the only interaction you have uh, with the server is them maybe bringing you your water and then your food. And uh, you can even close out uh, on your phone before you go. So, I mean, it's it feels totally different. It's a little more impersonal, to be honest with you. And and I mean, there's there's a good reason for that. We don't have to look look far for the reason things have changed over the past, you know, 20, 21 months, but you know, it's a, it's a different world. It definitely is.
2: Yeah. And we go back to some of our conversations in 2020. I think we, we talked about whether these QR codes and digital payment and all that was here to stay. And it seems like that is not going anywhere.
3: Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, I think that there's a a tier of dining that's uh, maybe slightly elevated. I guess you could call it finer dining or fine dining that Portland used to have some options of and now has zero options of. Um, Although there's some glimmers of things um, uh, opening here and there. Uh, uh, Briefly, another restaurant on my top 10 list, Republica, uh, has a five-course tasting menu using uh ingre- mexican ingredients that you don't see often like uh, it could be grasshoppers or uh, ant larvae or uh wheat <laughs> uh, lacoche which is a corn smut um it's a fungus that grows on corn oh, it's wow. actually quite delicious um so you are seeing people starting to dip their toe back into what uh finer dining might look like via mostly via pop-ups um And, uh, I think at that level you will, it would be rare to find a QR code, but for your average, uh, you know, beer garden or, uh, you know, what, what used to be counter service restaurant, I think by and large, it's going to be the QR codes.
2: Okay. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and just ask a couple more questions to Michael Russell, our food and restaurant critic for the Oregonian and Oregon live. Michael, we are now sufficiently very hungry and um, planning our next outdoor dining adventures. Um, Looking at your list and probably elbowing out, you know, all the other denizens who are doing the same thing. But let's get you out of here with some rapid fire questions Um, from these lists that you posted at OregonLive.com slash dining. What are you hitting on a very cold day? Uh, maybe it's snowing. What's your, what's your go-to order?
3: I'm going to go to a restaurant called Tom T H O M. It's a new Vietnamese restaurant on Northeast Alberta street that only has four dishes. And two of them are pho, a vegan pho and a beef. Pho. I'm probably going to get that, uh, the beef version, uh, which is a beef noodle soup with a really beautiful broth, uh, lots of clove and herbs in there. Um, and I'm going to get, uh, the, uh, the owner, Jimmy, le I'm going to get his, uh, grilled pork noodles as well. I actually had that for dinner last <laughs> night and, uh, I asked my kids what they thought of it and they said, can we eat this for dinner every night? So that's a good, uh, <laughs> high, <laughs> I guess they liked it. High, high, high praise. praise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you
2: kind of, second question, um, dump crib from the first one. What, if you're going out with your four year old, um, where are you going and what are you ordering?
3: Hmm. That's a good question. Um that's hilarious. I'm actually going to bring up my spreadsheet here because <laughs> I had a column on it that was uh, kid-friendly restaurants. So um there's a couple, you know, one that didn't make my cut. Uh that I really enjoyed is uh, Demo's a Pizza, which is a new um uh New Haven style pizzeria on uh, Burnside. Um so they try to like replicate uh, con- this like New Haven, Connecticut style of pizza, which is coal fired. They cook theirs in an electric deck oven and then move it to a wood fired oven to sort of recreate that kind of uh, uh, charred flavor. The, the pizza is a bit aggressive for kids, although I think they can probably do you up one. Uh, my kids love clams. Like they are insane about clams. It's bizarre. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I you know, more power to them, but th- so we ordered the clam pizza and then my kids just ate all of the clams off of the pizza which was like ridiculous. Um, there you go. Just got them a bowl of clams. There you go. <laughs> Listeners
2: get those clam pizzas for, for those kids. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what kids love? Clam pizza. Everyone says that, right? All right. Uh, we also love uh, on the seafood tip, a place that did make my list flying fish company, um, which is also on Burnside, but up, uh, up around 30th. And that's a seafood market and restaurant from a sustainable uh, second generation fishmonger. They make good fish and chips, great clam chowder. It kind of feels like you're at a coastal seafood shack, even though you're there on Burnside. Uh, we love it. Uh, they don't always have clams, but when they do, we're eating them, and a lot of them.
2: All right. It's a very rainy day, and you are uh, everyone is miserable, and you're just trying to get some food for your family and get it to go. Where are you going?
3: Great question. Um you know, uh, another surprise for me, this was a great year for new vegan restaurants. Um, I actually did like a top 40 nominees breakdown before we picked the top 10. So these were like the 40 places I was considering for the top 10. And I think there were at least six fully outright vegan or what they call plant-based restaurants mm-hmm. on that list, and two or three more that were vegetarian or had massive sections on their many that are vegan. So of those, the place that made my top 10 is called Miami Nice. And they are a Cuban restaurant that lives inside of a brewery called Culmination Brewery. And they have a nice tarp over some of their outdoor seating. But this is a total cliche to say this, but you do not miss the meat in their food. They make things like uh, Cuban sandwiches. Uh, Empanadas. They have something they call the big poppy, which is a uh, papa reina. It's it's like a a mashed potato ball that's uh, uh, deep fried, and it's got this golden crust. And you crack into it. There's a little bit of uh, a a soy, uh, sort of spice soy in the middle. Not too spicy for the kids. But um, you know, this is a place you can go. You can pick up food. It's not too expensive. It's all you know, takeout oriented, and my kids loved it too. I was uh, that that was maybe another one of my surprises of the year too. And you can have a beer while you wait.
2: It's it's a good brewery. Huh? It's made our our. Uh top 10 list i think in the past culmination yes um lastly um you know i i know we've kind of asked you to put a put on your thinking or guessing cap and predict things for 2022 or <laughs> and, what, what what's your prediction i mean any new trends or uh things to keep an eye on in 2022 where we're still going to be dealing with not normal life but you know maybe a little more normal who knows
3: it's not going to be back to normal and i don't know I don't know if it'll ever reset 100% to February 2020, but what we're going to see in 2022 is a lot of the major restaurant operators in Portland that kind of sat out the past 20 months, either um, you know applying for grants or loans or you know, maybe doing streamlined takeout only operations and not really opening a lot of new concepts or maybe opening ghost kitchens, things like that, that are like virtual restaurants that only exist on delivery apps. A lot of those restaurant groups are going to be, and and celebrity chefs are going to be coming out with new places early next year. So some of the places I have my eye on include Bluto's, which is a new Greek restaurant from the chef uh, at Lardo and Grasa. That uh, uh, is kind of a labor of love that's going to be on Southeast Belmont Street, where a restaurant called Acanto used to be for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, a and I, I have high hopes for what what Rick Giancarelli can do with souvlaki and dips and things like that. It should be really delicious. The uh, next big opening of next year, uh, that should be in January. In February, we're going to see Fouquet Cafe which is an all-day cafe from Earl Ninsome, the Thai restaurateur I told you about. Um, He's moving his upscale tasting menu restaurant, Longban, from Southeast Portland to Northwest Portland. Mm. And in front of that is going to be this place that's going to serve noodle soups and fun dishes from morning to night. Basically they're building a mock Thai train car in the front, uh, with, you know, 20 seats or so, uh, where you can sit, you could have a party, uh, you can sit outdoors, but you feel like you're inside of a train car. And, um, that the both Phuket Cafe and the Return of Long Bun, which had been um, you know one of our signature fine dining restaurants and was serving bar snacks through the pandemic uh, outdoors, <laughs> uh, th- th- that double those two openings in February are going to be really exciting. And then probably the biggest of all is um, Gregory Gourdet, the former chef at Departure, who's a regular on Top Chef. Yeah, uh, he was a finalist on the show. Now he's a guest judge. Gregory has been wanting to open his sort of dream Haitian restaurant. Uh, his family uh, is Haitian. He grew up in New York City. Uh, he's been working on this with for you know hosting pop-ups and going back to departure for years and years. He's finally planning to open his restaurant, which is called Khan, in June of 2022. And that is probably going to be one of the biggest restaurant openings uh, in a long time for Portland, in at least two or three years. Um, So we're really looking forward to that one. Um, You know, we talked a bit about diversity at the start of the show. And, you know, black ownership is still something that uh, we don't see a lot of in Portland. Um, But to have a chef with the experience and knowledge and skills to execute his vision, like Gregory, I have really high hopes for Con, which is aiming for June of 2022. So southeast,
2: yeah, return of the big fish in in 2022. Uh, A lot of big names in Portland dining um, got yeah, and that's exciting. Yeah, that's
3: exciting. I mean, they must know that the water. I mean, I assume these operators are thinking the water will be a little safer uh, to do these kinds of projects next year. And that's why they've been holding on to them.
2: Well, we can all hope um, and pray if we do that, that that is the case in 2022. And um, as always, thank you so much for your insight and making me super hungry at 1020, thanks, 1020 Lunch Club. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming back. Appreciate it.
3: All right. Now I'm going on a diet. All
2: right. (laughs) Take care. Talk
3: to you later. All right. Well, Jamie, uh,
1: needless to say some inspiration there. Mm. Are are you like feeling, uh, feeling like you're endeavoring out for lunch right now, uh, to go check out one of these places (laughs) or or what, what's the scene? Yeah. I feel like I'm champing at the bit. (laughs) Wanting to get out to some of these spots.
0: Just so good. I mean, there's already so many good spots in Portland that I have checked out over the last year, the last several years. And it's a really good feeling to like feel like you have so many good spots to check out and to now have so many more spots that I didn't even know existed um, that now I can go check out and find
1: some new favorites Mm -hmm. for 2022. It's like, you know, back in the day when a journalist has their Rolodex, you know, of all their different Mm -hmm. phone numbers and addresses and, and contact information. It's like you almost need to keep the virtual one of those in in your phone, in the notes app, or you could do a literal Rolodex if you so chose. You just have a little bit of a harder time finding one, I would have to imagine at this (laughs) point in time. But it's like you need to keep notes every time someone says, hey, have you tried so-and-so or have you been to this place? Store it somewhere because there is too much goodness uh, to go out there and try to track down. So kudos to Michael Russell for doing just that. It's a lot to keep under one person's hat. That's for sure. That's
0: right. You know, Jim, I feel like everyone needs to have that food friend. <laughs> who you can just text and say, hey, I am looking for X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. this weekend. What do you got? And Michael Russell is being that
1: food friend for all of us right now. Yes. And it
0: is a, a great service. So we thank him very much for that.
1: That would be a great like local Instagram handle, like Portland Food Friend or something, mm-hmm. who goes to all of these different places and does kind of dining reviews. Portland Food Friend. Uh, someone go snag it. It's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe don't go snag it. Maybe we should go snag it. I don't know. Well, Jamie, all that is to say, whether folks go snag that or not, One thing we haven't done here on the show is we have not yet talked about Here is Oregon, which is a new venture by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, essentially capturing the people, places, experiences, the things that make Oregon what it is, a place that we all know and love. And Jamie, we wanted to kind of give a shout out to Here is Oregon, refer people to it. Here is Oregon.com. notably uh, kind of the stories that we write, uh, the reporting that you do that is kind of the travel and outdoors stuff that, you know, we love, you love. It's all there.
0: Yeah, Jim, you know, if you're one of the, these people who really loves to hear about the new businesses, the new hikes, mm-hmm. um, all the, the cool spots to go check out, the cool people in your community doing amazing things, if you like to see all of that news – You know, maybe you don't like sifting through all of the uh, horrible things in the world (laughs) to find it. This is a great spot for you. It is a place where, you know, uh, we are highlighting those things that um, make you, you know, proud to be an Oregonian. Um, These things that make you really excited to get out and check out the state and go explore. You know, there's a lot of talk around this idea of, you know, um, having a place of good news. I don't really think there's such a thing as good news or bad news, but this is news news. That, you know, really makes you feel proud, I think, to be an Oregonian and um, get excited about being in the community. So uh, this is, I think, a really cool spot to check out. So either you can get there by hereisoregon.com. There are social media feeds on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all over the place. So log on, check it out, and um, definitely get in there. We're, We're putting a lot of good work, like you said, Jim, from myself, from you, from a lot of our colleagues just putting a lot of really
1: cool stuff up there. So if you're looking for that kind of stuff, hey, go check out Here's Oregon. Absolutely. So, and if you have ideas or things that you want to have featured, by all means, drop us a line. And we would be remiss not to mention and haven't said it for a while, but if you're enjoying the show here, subscribe, drop us a line, let us know what you would like to hear, leave us a review. All that stuff helps us out a lot. And we always love to hear from you folks. So until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonian's YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest, and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. As I said, please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show, and if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale, Dave Killen, and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we
0: leave you with this, 10 seconds, and hope